Hi, this is Pastor Rick. Welcome to On Demand. Today, we continue our study talking about what does not work, and that's division. Unity works, division does not. Jesus said so in Matthew 12, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I want to take you on a journey today to help you understand how division affects us and how it affects government. There are some things that were said in the Bible, uh, Peter said, for example, about slaves obeying your master and how unity in the words of Peter seemed to be about being subservient. Is that what Peter meant? No, it's not. You'll see when I teach on this in a minute. We'll talk about how people have taken scriptures to cause division and justify things that were wrong. We'll explain all that to you. Government has a role to play. We have a role to play. And I think it's important for us to get it all right. So I'll rightly divide a lot of this for you today. It'll be fun. Get your notes ready. Get yourself ready for a fun journey on demand. It's going to be a great study. What the Bible really means when it says division doesn't work and what you can do about it. Stay right there. Enjoy today's study. I want to take you on a journey now, though, down a path where we're going to remind you of two things we've been saying for the last couple of weeks. One is we've been saying the importance of unity and how unity works. When you band together, amazing things can happen. Division, on the other hand, doesn't work. It destroys everything. It ruins everything. In Matthew chapter 12, I want to take you uh, to a verse that we promised would be the verse for the month. This is kind of the launching pad of all of our thoughts. And it says this, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? Now, I talked about this last week and explained there was a blind man that Jesus healed. And there was this whole conversation of how Jesus could work such a great miracle. And there was this basic argument that Jesus made that a kingdom can't divide and win. That, that if Satan is the reason or the tool or the um, source of this guy's healing, it would not make sense because Satan doesn't work against Satan. And he goes through this wonderful dialogue, which you can go back and listen to. But the bottom line is there's unity in darkness to harm you. They're totally committed, totally banded together. Now, if you're not a church person, you're not in religion, I understand, don't get caught up in all that. The bottom line is there is nothing good that's going to come out of division. That's the bottom line message. And he says this, Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Every single city, every other, every city, every household is going to lose. So this brings me to the conversation we're going to have today about government. There is a danger of a divided government that's very, 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 very alarming to all of us. It should be. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 warns us about that. And he says, if you want to hear how Jesus sees it, this is how he sees it. Now, I'm going to put a couple of statements up on the screen and I'm going to read them to you only because I don't want to spend a lot of time just dancing around it. I want to say it and then you just kind of read it and you can apply it and see how it fits into your thinking. But it's a powerful series of statements that summarize sort of where I'm taking you. Number one, God understood that in order for us to be safe, certain secular institutions needed to be established. The Apostle Paul, Timothy, and Peter informed us that, they, that we should pray, be prayerful and careful how we engage them. That's the first statement. What I'm going to show you today is that three people in the Bible talked about this, and they warned us that these things were important. Number two, some of Peter's words have been used by governments to justify slavery and the abuse of civil rights. 
However, Peter said we should live like free men, 1 Peter 2.16. Some of what I'm going to read to you today, people have used to, in an abusive way. And they've used it to somehow encourage uh, the abuse of people. And it's caused great division in history. Thirdly, God changed, third statement, God changed, charged, rather, those in government. This is important. God charged those in government to be a safe place for, um, a safe place, least they eventually will be, will face judgment. I can read on a good day. Let me try it again. <laughs> God charged those in government to be a safe place, least they eventually will face judgment. Proverbs 16, 12 says, those in government leadership should detest wrongdoing for a throne is established through righteousness. God's goal is that we do right when you're in leadership. People in government have to be careful. People in leadership. Number four, in Ephesians 6 and 9, it says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their masters and your, yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put up something on the screen by a guy named Paul Copan. And, and I want to say it now because when I read the text in Peter in a minute, I don't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I want you to notice Peter's verses, Peter's comments on slavery have been used to endorse slavery, and that is not the will of God, not at all. And Paul Copan did a sermon at a wonderful university that I've spoken at, Biola University, and he talked about this, and he gave some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um, theological summaries, and it's right there on your screen. You can click on that cue card right there and, you, and say, okay, I want to see that. And if you get the notes, we'll have it in the notes for you, the link where you can find his teaching. But his name is Paul Copan Biola. If you put that in, in uh, a search, you probably would find it. And it's a sermon he did on slavery, on the whole idea of Ephesians 6 and 9. And the bottom line is it's misused and misinterpreted. And people need to understand that God's goal is to encourage freedom, not bondage. Now, having said that, those are the four main points I'm going to talk about in this sermon. And you'll see how they all connect and fit together. Now, let's talk about, first of all, what Paul told Timothy about government. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what he said. He said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings, and for those that are in uh, authority that we may lead, live a peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and, and pleases God, our Savior, who wants us all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants all people, Democrats, Republicans, independents, everybody. He wants everybody in government, black, white, yellow, small, tall, whatever. He wants everybody to come into unity and all be saved. God cares about everybody. He doesn't favor one party above another. He really doesn't. And what's really important to understand is we are to pray for government. That's what Timothy teaches. Peter, on the hand, taught this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. He said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. See, notice he implies that government should want to do right, not wrong. Government should not want to harm people. But the bottom line attitude should be an attitude of submission and respect. That's important. I think a lot of people need to miss that point. God designed us, though, to be free people, not to be enslaved people. If you look at verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 2, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, 
but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God, God's slaves. God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Again, Peter says you've got to honor people in governmental authority. It's an interesting statement. God wants us to be respectful even when it's not fair. Now, this is the part that gets a little dicey because it can, and this is why you need to listen to Paul Copan's teaching because he's basically going to say that God, whenever you use the word slavery or, or in, in the Bible, it doesn't have anything to do with what happened in the United States. That's not the kind of culture. That's not the kind of abuse. That's not, it's not the same. It's just not the same. Slaves had rights. Slaves couldn't be abused. They were in certain cultures, but that is not the norm. In the biblical context, and Paul does a great job of explaining that. But let me show you if I can, verse 18. He says, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good, are good and considerate, but to also to those who are harsh. Now, please understand the Bible writes to people in a circumstance, not one he endorses, not one that he supports. But he writes it to people who are in an unfair circumstance and says, to survive the circumstance, have a good attitude. Verse 19, for it is it is, not, it, is not, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust sufferings because they are conscious of God. But how is it, if you're credit, if you receive beatings for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. One of the problems in reading the Bible is you, you speak from where you are. You speak from a, a, a free place, an American place, if you're an American, and you have this perspective that I'm free, supposed to be free. Well, everybody that's being written to is not in that situation. And Peter, in, in writing to them, he's writing to people that are in slavery. He's writing to people that are in bondage, fair and unfair, good bosses and, and bad bosses. And again, Peter encourages freedom. But he says, in the context you're in, let me give you some wisdom. Let me show you how to navigate through it. Slave owners use this verse to justify slavery, and it is no way justification for slavery. It is in no way saying that God in any way endorsed it, liked it, supported it. As a matter of fact, they're going to be judged for that kind of stuff. That's not encouraged at all. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. There's no way that the Bible endorsed this kind of bondage. As a matter of fact, the Bible in Romans chapter 13 calls us to a higher standard. So I hope you're clear about that. I think it's really a, a, a bad misrepresentation of Scripture to imply that somehow God wants you to enslave people for their benefit because they're slow, because we're going to help them advance. That's all wrong and evil and carnal, and it's bad. And I don't need to say any more about that. I think you got it. All right, Romans chapter 13. But the Bible does support government. The Bible says government's established, like I said earlier in the teaching, was established because God cares about us. You can't function. You can't build anything. You can't have a unified culture if there is no government. There has to be someone that leads. And so Romans 13, first of all, the government's established. And here's what he says about it. Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God is the one who said, you need to have a government. Somebody's got to be in charge. The governor is, a, and he'll, he'll name that in a minute. Those are positions that he establishes as a right position. Look what he says in verse 2. 
Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has established, or what God has instituted, rather. For those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3, now this is important, because the, those who are in government have to read verse 3. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right. That's the way it should be. Look at the preacher again. That's the way it should be. They should, government, people in authority, governors, policemen, leaders, they should never be a terror to people that are doing right. It is when they slide into terrorizing people who do right that they're wrong. Here's what he says. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. That's the way it's supposed to be. If you do what's right, there should be no issue. You shouldn't get pulled over unfairly. You should, there are things that shouldn't happen to you. And if it does, there should be an apology. I'm so sorry. There should be a sense of we're here to do what's right, not to be authoritarian, not to take control. Government, politicians, none of those people are appointed by God to be authoritarian, abusive, or unfair. Verse 4, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. They're God's servant, God's minister. That's whether they're for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not uh, bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, if you do wrong, all you criminals to be watching, God's against you. All of you that won't do right, sneak in line. Listen, if you're, you, you don't have God on your side. That's what the Bible said. And they're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as members of matters of, of conscience. Well, Pastor Rick, I don't like what you just said about the criminals. Now, I am a criminal, but I, don't, I think God loves me. He does, but he wants you to stop. Stop robbing, stealing, and doing what you're doing. It's not right. The Bible says God established government to hunt you down. The angels are working against you. It's not God's will for you to live that way. Here's what he says. Verse 6, and this is important. It's also why you pay taxes for the authorities of our God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. <clears throat> if revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. Wow. Need to drink some water on that one. Mm. Lord have mercy. Taxes. Mm. One more drink. Taxes. I know. But God said I established it. Got to pay for those roads. <clears throat> You got to pay for those streets. You got to pay for an army. See, some of you want things, but you somehow <clears throat> developed an attitude that says, you're not submitting to anybody. Here's, here's to you getting the message. How sad is it for you that you want to live in a society that you don't participate in. <clears throat> Taxes are, I, I mean, I, I know. Believe me, I know. But I'm here. Every time I ride on a plane, every time I, every time I call the fire department, every time a paramedic shows up, 
taxes. Every time I ride down a road and I see somebody moving snow, taxes. Are you a free rider? You just don't want to submit to anybody? A freewheeler? You have no boundaries and you divide. Somehow you're over here unsubmitted to anybody, both in your house, with your parents, you weren't submitted. Police officers, and I understand there are some we need to pray for, okay, but let's, let's pretend for a minute. <clears throat> Governors, mayors, presidents, you submit to nobody. That, that's not God's will. There's some things I won't do. If I don't, if a president that I won't win doesn't, if I vote for a guy and he doesn't win, I don't say that's not my president. I don't do that. Well, he's not mine. I understand. I don't do that. Because I don't always get to have my way. The government is not just about what I want. A house divided cannot stand. We're in this together. We fund this together. We pay for the roads together. We, we, one, of the, one of the tragedies of serving in, in community services, a mayor or, or the city council person, a state representative, a national state representative or a senator, is you notice how people don't really get it. There's this <clears throat> distant attitude that somehow makes them feel as if I don't have to participate. You've seen this in family, right? Mama's funeral, and nobody wants to give to the funeral, but they want to cry for mama. Nobody wants to be taxed. You like privilege, but you don't like to pay attention to the details. You don't, you don't want to be, a, you, don't want to, you don't want to pay your way. There, there is a responsibility I have to try to be in the fight. To be honest and truthful and not to divide and fight. We're becoming a divisive group. We're losing our way. And we need to pause and think about this. And it starts with you. In your attitude. Now, here's what I'm going to close with. I don't know where Christians get off with this idea that they can somehow become anti-government and be in the name of God celebrating an anti-government attitude. I understand when government's wrong, you should speak truth to power. I get that. When you just say, I agree, I agree with all that. I agree with all that. But you need to be careful that you don't violate what you say you believe. There is an attitude that we have to have towards authority that is absolute. Speak truth to power, fine. Vote your way, fine, but you can't become belligerent and anti something that God established. When government gets out of the way, I understand you should vote them out, stand up against it when it's wrong, but there's a way to do that. And there's an attitude you have to have. And it's not some of the attitudes that we've seen in recent days. You represent Christ. 
many of you. You need to maybe just back up your train just a little bit and reconsider how you present yourself and how you present your message and how you present your grievances. There are a lot of things I don't like. There are things I want to see our government do. There are things I want to see change. There's fairness, both in health care, both in social services. There are things I want to see happen in, in our communities. I want to see more equity. But there's a way we go after it. And we need to do it right. And we need to do it together. Black, white, Asian, men, women, children. People who are from other parts of our country who settled here, who are now a part of our family. All of us need to band together as one government, one people under one God. I believe under one God with a good attitude. And that's what we need. Let me tell you what works. Unity. Let me tell you what doesn't work. Division. Next time we gather, we're going to take this on for a third time. And I want to talk to you about thankfulness. Thanksgiving's coming up. And I want to talk about it. I want to talk about what it means to be thankful. Some of us have become ungrateful. And what's sad is we miss a lot of good things because we are. So I'll talk more about that next week. I want to thank you for being with me. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for families that have gotten into this attitude of belligerence and it's showing up everywhere. Not only in their government attitudes, it's showing up in their homes. I pray they'd band together, unite around the word, and find unity and peace, healing and strength. We cannot survive if we're divided. The Bible says a house, a city, a country, a nation divided against itself cannot and will not stand. And so, God, I give you all the praise and glory for the power of your word that has taught us the importance of banding together. Some of us need to repent for our attitudes. Some of us have strong convictions for bad attitudes. Help us to have a strong conviction with the right attitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for letting me share this word with you. I'll see you next time right here. And if you are the kind of person who says, Pastor, I need you to pray for me because I'm one of those people who've been this on, on the outside. I've been angry and frustrated. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those who've been angry. Heal their hearts today. I pray for those who don't know Christ. Let this be the beginning for them of a new life. May they open their hearts to God in a new way and say, Lord, I trust you with my life and my attitude in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll see you next time. You stay blessed. Be blessed. And God bless you. And remember, we're in this together. See you next time. Bye-bye. I pray you were blessed by today's message. I hope it brought clarity to your mind about government and the role it plays and why God established it and how you can get things wrong and misinterpret the scripture and use it to abuse people. I hope all that became clear to you today. Let's pray for unity. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that what we've talked about today brings clarity about division and the danger it brings to all of us. I pray that we would band together as a family and understand that we need to love together respect each other, and move forward together in love. In Jesus' name. My name is Pastor Ricky Temple. Thanks for joining me today. We have more to share next time. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.